honor it is to be here at this midweek uh, uh, service of the Gospel Mission. And I'd like you to take your Bible and open it with me to the book of Nehemiah. I know it's a little bit unusual uh, uh, series that we're doing here in this Gospel Mission, uh, going through the uh, topics but represented by these gates going around the city of Jerusalem. Uh, so perhaps not uh, an expository uh, message in that sense, but the, the topics that really run through the entirety of Scripture in an amazing way are represented uh, here in these gates. And it represents really all the experience that, uh, that we, in the beginning of our Christian lives and the, the way to God. There's a way to God. Now, I remember when, when Apple first brought out uh, the App Store, uh, there was this phrase, there's an, there's an app for that. And whatever, sub, whatever uh, particular uh, thing you could be doing, whatever tool you could be doing, they were trying to say, there's an app for that. There's something that you can be helped with. Uh, but really, when it comes to uh, our lives and when it comes to the Lord helping us with different things, um, there's, there's help with, with all of these things. And when it comes to our sin, when it comes to uh, the valleys that we experienced last night, the, the difficulties in life, there's a, there's a gate for that is what I want to say tonight. There, there, there's, a, there's something the Lord can help you with. And so tonight we're coming to an, uh, perhaps a, an unpleasant gate, the dung gate. And, uh, but praise God for the dung gate because there is so much rubbish uh, that there, there was to deal with and they, that couldn't be left sitting there in the, in the temple area and in, in, the, in the holy city of Jerusalem. They had to have a place to get rid of it. They had to have a place to, to get it out of the city. And there was a gate for that. There was a place uh, uh, to help them with that particular problem that they had. And when it comes to, uh, to our rubbish in our lives, we know that this world is indeed a messed up place. There is suffering. We saw that last night. There is suffering in this world. But in Nehemiah and chapter 3, once again, verse 14, we see that uh, uh, we're going to find that there's a reason uh, why that, that is there, and there. But God has made a way to deal with it. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 14 tonight and 15. Read verses 14 and 15. Uh, it's, the Bible says, But the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of part of Beth Hakurim. He built it and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalom, the son of Colhazeh, the ruler of part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. The wall of the pool of Siloah by the king's garden and unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. We'll stop reading there. There's a whole section of the wall after the, uh, the, 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 the fountain gate that goes down to verse 25. But you can read that in your own time. Here we have Nehemiah and the people of Israel finally looking at the walls which had been in such disrepair. And they're saying, we need to repair these walls. We need to repair these gates. Do you remember in, on Sunday, perhaps, we, we read in chapter 2, verse 13, when Nehemiah had seen this section of the wall already. It says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 13, And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool. But there was no place for the beast that was under me 
to pass. So he went to these two gates. He went to the dung gate and he went to the gate of the fountain and he said, this area is totally broken down. This area, there's not even a place for my my beast to even walk here. And it had been totally forgotten. It had been totally neglected. Did you know that when it comes to uh, what's wrong with the world, the this world tries to, tries to uh, deal with all the problems of the world in other ways, but not in the way that truly solves the heart of the problem. They might move the rubbish around a little bit, but they don't, it's never gotten rid of. It's never dealt, truly dealt with. And but when it comes to our lives, it needs, we need to be honest. We need to be forthright. And so when it comes to the dung gate in our lives, there is a place for us to take our rubbish. There is a place for us to take uh, our sin and where it can finally and truly be dealt with. Could you imagine what it would be like if the city did not have this gate? Uh, the garbage and the filth of the city was taken out each night. And uh, not much is said about it here, but it was certainly a most necessary gate uh, to the health of the city of Jerusalem. They would take it out this dung gate and bring it down into that valley Uh, that we spoke about yesterday, the valley which the Lord Jesus spoke about as representing hell, where it would be uh, burned with fire. Uh, Natalie and I uh, were able to go uh, uh, earlier um, this year uh, on that cheap cheap ticket to Israel, and we we were able to, to walk through that valley. And surprisingly, we were the only ones there. It's a beautiful park now. We were the only ones in the park. And uh, uh, quite a deep valley there outside of this uh, dung gate. And uh, uh, we, we, we were alone there. We saw a, a fountain coming out of a, a hill. And I went over there just to check it out. And I looked under where the water had been uh, washing some stuff away. And I saw some huge chunks of pottery sitting there. And it looked very, very old pottery. Uh, and I thought, well, I wonder if I could keep this bit of pottery. But then, you know, I thought about it. I thought, I remember reading about this valley, how Manasseh would, would worship other gods here. And, you know, people, they would put their children through the fire here. I thought, I don't think I want to keep anything from this valley. This is a terrible place, you know. And I was thinking about all the, 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 the sin that had happened there. And yet the Bible tells us that they would take it out of the city. and There was a place where it could be forgotten. What does the Bible say about our sin? Look at with me, if you will, to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. It doesn't just, it's not just taken out of, uh, out of the uh, city, but it's dealt with fully. And, and wonderfully, and we're going to see that here. Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and healeth all thine diseases. Isn't it wonderful? What the Lord says here, that he, 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 later on in this, in this same passage, it's going to say that he removes our sins. Look at what it says in verse number 10, or verse number 8. The Lord is slow, uh, sorry, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. 
He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Praise God, there's a place the Lord can take your sin. He can remove them as far as the east is from the west. And so this picture of this dung gate as there's a place where it can be removed. And that place is at the cross. The Lord Jesus can truly deal with our sin. You know, uh, Brother Jimmy was speaking about, um, and by the way, it's so great to see Brother Jimmy and Brother Joshua, but uh, uh, I'm my wife's pastor who knocked on her door when she was 15 years old, he used to tell us about Brother, Brother Jimmy. Or he always says Jimmy, but, uh, but I think you go by James now, actually. But, uh, um, but he would say, you know, he used to teach you in Sunday school, and then uh, after your sister passed away, they thought, uh, you went off from the world, they thought, we'll never hear from him again. But how wonderful and gracious the Lord is, isn't he? Uh, just the Lord always works at both ends, doesn't he? But, but he was mentioning about uh, that incident in the pool and looking at that lady and thinking, she's just strict. She just wants uh, to make me miserable. And yet uh, she was the one who could really help him and could really save him. People think that way about God's holiness, he said. But, you know, that's the only thing that can really, truly help us. People don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to think about this, uh, this aspect of life. I remember when I went to Kettering for the first time. We were helping start uh, a church with a missionary. That's the summer that Natalie and I met. And the pastor asked if we would go and, and give out some invitations to the first uh, service there. And so my friend and I knocked on a certain door where the gentleman invited us into the house. We were so excited. And he gave us a cup of tea and some, some Jaffa cakes. And uh, uh, by the way, remember yesterday's gate was the Jaffa gate. And I thought, I'm going to buy everyone some Jaffa cakes for after the service. But I left them at Pastor Moore's house. So I think he's going to have to enjoy them instead. But I don't know, are they cakes? Are they biscuits? I don't know. They're just good, aren't they? But that was my first time experiencing a Jaffa cake. And uh, we sat down and he said, what do you boys want to tell me? He said, I'm, I'm all ears. So we, we took him to, the first verse we took him to was Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He had said he was all ears, but when we got to that word sin, he said, stop, stop right there, young man. He said, let me tell you something. When you come to this country, you can't use that word. And uh, he, with his British accent, he said, it's a bit too heavy. That, that word sin, it's a bit too heavy. And uh, he said, yeah, I'm going to have to ask you boys to leave. He, you know, he was all ears until he heard that word sin. And I remember even when I was moving to England on the ship in 2013, uh, after, after uh, being in America for six years, I was able to preach uh, on board the ship a certain service and uh, we, it was called Hymns at Sea, and we were giving the hymn histories of all these hymns that connected to the sea, and I, we were talking about amazing grace. And this very sweet lady who we, we had met during tea, we invited her to come, but when we, when we got to the story of John Newton, I was trying to explain what, it, what he meant, he saved a wretch like me, and that little sweet old lady got up and she said, nobody calls me a wretch. She slammed the door on her way out, you know. People can be very sweet, but they don't want to think about the reality of what's really wrong with 
with us and with this world. We saw yesterday there is a problem with it. We all know there is something wrong with the world. Everyone knows that. But what is it that's really wrong with the world? The world was created perfectly. Uh, God said it's very good. But uh, something happened. The Bible only tells us uh, where we came from, why we're here, where we're going, but also why the world is the way that it is. When Ken Ham was visiting the British Museum in London, he was uh, uh, looking at those statues of the Greek uh, gods, you know, uh, from Athens, and everyone was taking photos and things. And, but he overheard a little boy standing there looking around at all these people taking pictures and ooing and aahing about these statues, and the, he heard the little boy say, they all look broken to me. They are missing their heads and missing their arms, you know. And sure, this world retains some beauty from when God created it, but it is a broken world. Why is the world the way that it is? It's because of sin. An atheist will say, there's always been death and suffering. There always will be death and suffering, but there's not really any hope. But as Christians, we know there wasn't always death and suffering. And through Christ, there will not always be death and suffering for those who put their faith in him. When we're in the city center in Peterborough, we get many questions from people. And I was prepared for uh, answering questions about evolution and answering questions uh, about uh, LGBT and and answering questions about all these different questions people ask us. But do you know what the most common question of all by far is? People ask us, if there really is a God, why would he allow suffering? Why would he allow death and suffering in this world? And it's personal. Why would he allow me to go through this? Or why would he allow my my family to go through this? Or, Or for my loved one to be taken away from me? That's the most common question. And for an atheist, they say, there's no answer. There's not really any hope. But we know... We, are, we see the reality of it. There is a problem, but Jesus is the only one who can solve that problem. We talked about the valley, the valleys that we go through in life, and some people allow those things to get between them and God and push them away from the Lord, when really those things should remind us we have no hope in this world and drive us to the Lord. And He's the only one that can help us. He, he understands our suffering, He experienced our suffering. He understands. He's, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He's able to succor us and help us, the book of Hebrews says. And so he's the only one we can go to in our suffering who truly knows and understands and who, can, who actually truly can do something about it. He, he can help us in our suffering. And, of course, he can take us to a place one day where there is no suffering. He can truly deal with, with our sin and with the consequences of that sin. He can take it away. And so when it comes to our sin, when it comes to the dung, when it comes to these things, we need to think about who we can go to. There is a place for that. Let me show you a picture of the dung gate today. Perhaps. I don't think it. Oh, uh, well, actually, before we do that, I I showed you a little section of the wall that, uh, that was still there from Nehemiah's day. Well, this is just another angle of it. I thought I'd throw that in there as well. Uh, that you can see, uh, but this is this is close to this right here. This is the dung gate uh, at the south side, the very south side of the of the of the walls that Nehemiah built. Uh, it's been it was widened in 1948 for the soldiers to get in there, 
And, uh, but this, this was a, a port. Remember in chapter 2, it was just called the dung port, a place people could walk through and take out the rubbish. But today, this is the cleanest part of Jerusalem. The dung gate is still there. And today, it's the, it's the best, the cleanest part of the city. But, you know, when you finally do deal with your sin and bring it to the Lord, acknowledge your sin, and He can, he can save you, then you can be clean. It can be, then you can, you can know the joy and the, the, uh, of his cleansing that he can give you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So not only can we be saved and be saved from the penalty of our sins, uh, after, that, after that justification, after this being saved from the penalty of our sins, the day, the moment that you were born again, you were justified, you were saved from the penalty of sins. But then comes sanctification. And that daily cleansing, the Bible speaks about God helps us over not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. He's just saying victory in Jesus and how he truly gives us victory. You know, uh, someone, someone who doesn't believe in sin, they might call it something else. They might call it uh, a, a disease or a, a hang up or a mental issue or something. But there's only so far that medicine and mental health can go to help us. And it cannot really truly get to the heart of the problem. But what can get to the heart of the problem is the Lord dealing with our hearts. Our heart is the heart of the problem. And uh, if you just say it's a disease, then you say, I'm just a victim of this or that. But when you acknowledge that, that there's something that can be done, that you can acknowledge your sin and bring it to the Lord. You're no longer just a, an endless victim, but you can have victory over those things. And so here we see the victory, having these precious promises dearly above it, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So that sanctification comes. One day, There will also be glorification. We'll be saved not only from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but one day even from the presence of sin. And we look forward to that wonderful day. But praise God, God can deal with your sin fully and wholly. But in this life, we need to be be going to the Lord every day. In 1 John, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's so much that was in the way for Nehemiah when he was going through it, even the beast couldn't go, couldn't go anywhere. And if, if your life is clogged up, you're not going to be able to move forward in your Christian life. You have to learn how to use this gate. Learn how to daily confess your sins. And he will be faithful and does to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Think of all the rubbish that was in the way of this gate. Think of all the things that stop you. Verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, 
and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured much such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. There's something that can weary us. There, there are things that we in our Christian life that can we, make us faint. And he says, let's lay those aside and look unto Jesus. Just look at him and, and you'll drop everything else. When we think about the song, um, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, you know, he says, I count everything else but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Everything else is just loss. But how does, it, how does the Bible actually word that? When he thinks about Christ, all these other things are loss. All these other things are, what does Philippians chapter 3 say? Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 8. Even the things that he said, I counted gain in the past, I now count them lost. And then he says, I count them but dung. But dung. So when we think about the dung gate, it's not just sin, but it's even the things that we used to think were gain, even the things that we used to just be a weight even. Some things are not a sin, but they're a weight. And, and he says, I count all these things but dung. Philippians 3, verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. What do you see as the most important thing? He says, let's look unto Jesus and we'll just lay aside all these other things. And you can live that life of holiness that we just read about. Did you ever hear about the story of the folks in, I believe it was Papua New Guinea. A missionary once told this story and it's sort of gone around the world. But uh, he told the story about how the folks there would catch monkeys to eat. And uh, they, I, think they, I think the story goes that they would catch them for the delicacy of the, of the monkey brains, you know. And they, they would take a coconut and they would fill it with peanuts and they would tie it to a palm tree and then they would leave a trail of Peanuts off into the jungle. And then uh, they would go back to their village and pretty soon they'd hear, uh, they'd hear the monkey squealing because the monkey would come and see the peanuts and go one by one and take and they'd see that coconut. They'd put, it, put their hand in the coconut. They'd fill their hand, little monkey hand full of those peanuts and then start squawk, squealing or whatever it is monkeys do. I won't try to make the sound of a monkey caught in a coconut, but um, I think I did that once at a teen meeting and then the, the teenagers mocked me with that sound for, for a long time. But, but uh, they would come out, they'd hear that sound, it was like the dinner bell, they'd come out and catch the monkey. But you know, if the monkey had just let go of those peanuts, he could be free, but they just won't let go and their hand is too big to get out of the coconut. You know, this world has so many things that are just peanuts compared to the joy of having a life that is forgiven and, and a life of holiness with Christ. And yet we don't give those things up. They're just peanuts in comparison, and yet, and yet we, we want those things. We think, oh, I have to give up so much to be a Christian. Those are the things that will destroy you. Those are the things that have you trapped, that have you bound. Just let go, and the Lord can help you. 
the Bible speaks here as well uh, about the, these weights and these sins. And look at back in Nehemiah. The Bible talks about here how we should give up these weights, give up these sins, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. All this rubbish was causing the people to faint. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 10. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burden is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. There's much rubbish. The strength is decayed. Our strength is gone because there's so much rubbish. Of course, later on in chapter 8, verse 10, he's going to say, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that joy is, uh, of seeing the, the finished work allowed them to finish that wall in 52 days. But, but they were getting discouraged. And if we, once we try dealing with our sin in our lives and confessing them, we can maybe be a bit discouraged. But it's so worth it. To, to, may the Lord, may the joy of knowing that, that this job will, will one day be finished, keep you going and get it done. And if there's anything in your life that uh, is, is causing you not to be able to live that holy life, may the Lord help you to just get rid of it. Look as well at the last chapter of Nehemiah. I love this little story at the end of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was called back to, uh, to, king, to the king in um, uh, the Persian king there for a little while. And then he came back to Jerusalem again many years later. But you know when he got back? Tobiah, one of the three bad guys in the book of Nehemiah, who kept causing them trouble. He had not only married in, uh, his family had married into the, the, the pe- with the people of God, but he also, he found Tobiah living in a chamber of the temple. Look at Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 7. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God and the meat offering and the frankincense." Does the devil have a place in your, in your life, in your household? What, is, what does Nehemiah do as soon as he realizes it? He goes in there and it says, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah. You can just imagine Nehemiah chucking furniture out the window, you know, getting rid of all that stuff of Tobiah's. Really, we, that's what we need to do. May the Lord help us to, to see all of that rubbish, all of that stuff, and get it out. There's a, there's a dung gate. And... Uh, Right next to the dung gate, immediately next to the dung gate, is another gate, and that is the fountain gate here in Nehemiah chapter 3. The gate of the fountain and verse 15. And uh, right next to this gate is this fountain gate. It was near the pool of Siloam. Uh, when we do deal with sin, we need to remember we can't do it in our own strength. And we need that cleansing from the Lord. And a fountain in the Bible represents that. Uh, this pool of Siloam, uh, this is not the pool of Siloam. For many years they thought this was the pool of Siloam, this little tiny pool. But this, this, is, the, uh, this is where the fountain gate was, right near, near here. But this is the end of Hezekiah's tunnel. Uh, did you know that the Bible had said in the book of 2 Kings, uh, chapter uh, 20 and verse 20, that during Nehemiah's reign, I'm sorry, Hezekiah's reign, that he had made a pool and a tunnel 
uh, by which he brought water into the city. And there, we're going to talk about the Watergate tomorrow night and, and the great revival that happened at the Watergate. I can't wait for tomorrow night, which uh, the revival of God's word once again. Uh, but they took that water and they brought that fountain down here to the pool of Siloam, to this gate of the fountain. And Hezekiah had built this tunnel and he had gotten two teams of workers and they had made their way under the city of Jerusalem and they met each other. And, they, and uh, there was a guy named Warren, Charles Warren from, from the UK. He had gone with a shovel in one hand and a Bible in the other hand and he found this tunnel. In fact, here's a picture of your pastor uh, in the background there going down underground in Jerusalem towards this tunnel that goes beneath the city. I think we've got a picture of him zoomed in there as well. And, uh, you know, we, we went and saw this, uh, this tunnel. I think he got his hat on backwards there. But um, uh, we think about uh, how he brought this to this pool of Siloam. And we, when we got to the end of the tunnel, Pastor Kevin Cowdery uh, preached in the, pool, the real pool of Sloan because a few years back uh, a pipe burst and uh, it caused a little bit of a flood and it exposed a little bit of a step and they found the real pool of Sloan where Jesus healed the blind man. He told the blind man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which Siloam means sent. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is sent to us to help us with, with dealing with our sin? You can't deal with it in our own strength. Brother Kevin, I remember he spoke here, he quoted a verse from Galatians, uh, I believe it's chapter 3, verse 3. It says, having begun in the, in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? You know, we can't deal with these things in our flesh, with our, in our own strength. The Holy Spirit has to do these things. And we have this fountain. Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. He said, he said uh, about uh, this fountain that shall be in you, springing up into everlasting life. We don't have to try to fix ourselves. He spoke to this woman who had had five husbands in John chapter 4, and the man he, she was living with was not her husband. She couldn't fix her life, but Jesus said, He said, I that speaketh unto thee am he. She said, when Messiah cometh, he'll show us all things. I that speaketh unto thee am he. He revealed himself as the Messiah, and he said, he said, there will be this living water springing up inside of you. He said at the Feast of the Tabernacles also, he said, I'll give you water, uh, rivers of living water springing up inside of you. You can't fix yourself, but the Holy Spirit moving in, that Holy Spirit can, can bring that holiness and he can change you through that work after salvation of sanctification. I remember at Nazareth, when we were visiting Israel, I bought a little lamp. Uh, that uh, had, uh, it was an oil lamp. And we think about oil representing the Holy Spirit as well. And I took that home and I put the olive oil in this lamp. I was excited to light it and show it, uh, you know, have it for visitors, you know, when they were coming over. I was going to have it sitting on the mantelpiece of the, the fireplace, this little clay lamp. And then I lit it and the wick that it came with just burned to a crisp. And I thought, what did I do wrong? And and I googled it. You're supposed to dip that wick in olive oil as well, so it can draw that oil up. So many of us we try to live the Christian life. We have the Holy Spirit, but we don't we don't draw upon His strength. It's available, but we're not drawing it, and we can get burnt out very easily ourselves in the in the Christian life. The Bible says in Romans chapter eight, verse nine: He that hath not the Spirit of Christ is none of His. So if you are His, 
That means you already have the Holy Spirit, but you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow Him to, to go throughout all of your life and you can yield to His work in your life. Well, uh, think about, there's another view of Kevin preaching at that pool of Siloam. You know, there's this cleansing, there's this help. The blind man went there and washed. You know, this, the, the Holy Spirit has been sent. So may the Lord help us all to deal with our sin. We can't, we can't fix it ourselves, but we can bring it to the Lord. And He can remove your transgressions. As far as the east is from the west, they can be taken out of that dung gate and you can be cleansed there at the gate of the fountain. He can, he can help you. The Holy Spirit can move in. May the Lord help us to yield to His work in our lives. Father, we thank you for what your word teaches us, that there is an answer for these things. Father, I think about my own aunt, my father's oldest sister, who was married five times herself, and she couldn't, uh, she couldn't fix her own problems. But thank you that even a, a month before she died, she called up so excitedly, saying that she had been saved, not knowing that she had cancer. But Father, you changed her life completely in that final month. But Father, I pray that no one here will wait until uh, even another moment. May they be like Nehemiah and cast these things out uh, of their lives. If there's sin in their life, may may we not want the devil to have one single chamber in our lives. Father, we pray if if there's anyone not even saved at all, may they invite you to come into their life to save them. And for the Holy Spirit to then begin that cleansing work the work of the fountain springing up inside of them. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray.